Welcome to the Democracy Dispatch podcast. I'm Justin Marsh, Political Outreach Director at Vermont Conservation Voters. During the legislative session, this is your weekly go-to for the scoop on legislative action as we work to push forward environmental policies for Vermont. But today, as Vermonters begin week four of cleanup from the devastating flooding that occurred the week of July 10th, we hear from four legislators from across Vermont as they share stories from their communities and efforts of recovery. I walked the streets of Johnson with Representative Dan Noyes, assessing firsthand the damages and the work to rebuild. I spoke with Senator Allison Clarkson of Windsor County, who shared how her home district was impacted and how resiliency efforts made following the flooding from Tropical Storm Irene likely helped areas in Bethel and Stockbridge that had been damaged in 2011, but were not as badly hit this time around. Representative Catherine Sims talked with me about the gaps in capacity for smaller towns, especially in the Northeast Kingdom, where she represents four towns hoping for FEMA relief designation. And lastly, Senator Keisha Ram Hinsdale, who has stayed home with her newborn, but took on a vital role of connecting supplies and volunteers using her connections and relationships to provide aid to the affected communities. Unfortunately, the audio quality from my time with Representative Noise was not up to snuff for such a, an acclaimed and regarded broadcast like the Democracy Dispatch podcast, um, but I was able to salvage a few clips. Uh, you will notice the audio quality of those clips is not stellar. It was our first attempt to record outside of an office or the state house, uh, and as we were not as prepared as we should have been. However, we did get a transcript, and I will attempt to narrate many parts of our conversation. To paint the picture for folks, the village of Johnson is situated where the Guion River, which flows south from Headwaters in Eden Notch and the southern flanks of the Belvedere and Hadley Mountains, meets the Lamoille River, which flows west to Lake Champlain. Johnson is like so many communities in Vermont, a downtown literally down from the hills, perhaps most known for being home to the hilltop campus of the newly renamed Vermont State University, but also the Vermont Studio Center along Pearl Street, which sits right on the Guion, and now Jenna's Promise. The latter is a critical organization that launched only a few years ago to assist with those in substance use recovery. The organization, run by the Tetro family, who lost their 26-year-old daughter Jenna, the organization's namesake, to an opioid overdose in 2019, have in many ways reinvigorated Johnson's downtown. They've built a community center and a recovery center, funded by a store and a cafe slash bakery, which also serve as workplace development for those in recovery. Several of their recovery homes sustained extensive damage and loss of property due to the catastrophic flooding. Representative Noise, who also represents Belvedere, Hyde Park, and Woolcott, has been in contact with the Tatro family, who are working diligently to continue to support people who are in recovery when the infrastructure is gone. Infrastructure losses not unlike what we observed as we walked down Railroad Street. We ran into Heather, a constituent who owns several rental properties across from the library along what is mostly a residential street, but with a majority of them being renters. Heather and her volunteers were hard at work, wiping away sweat from their brow as they took a brief moment to chat with us. 
Heather recounted stories of her tenants evacuating through waist-deep waters, waters that would eventually reach 63 inches above the ground, forcing some tenants to be rescued by boat from their second stories. As we let Heather get back to work, noise points to a residence across the street where High Waters lifted up a dumpster and then dropped it within an enclosed fence as the waters receded. Normally, it's just a little neighborhood street with a bunch of um, mixed housing. So um, it's pretty amazing the amount of water that came up into this community and the impact that it had on it. He suspects the Sterling Market, the one grocery store in town, may not reopen this calendar year, making Johnson and its surrounding smaller towns like Waterville and a town he represents, Belvedere, essentially smack dab inside of a food desert. Thankfully, Rural Community Transportation, RCT, has extended its dial-a-ride service to Johnson residents who may not have had the ability to access a grocery store, now two towns away in Morristown. Johnson's weekly community meal provided by volunteers and donors, as well as their summer tradition of Tuesday Night Live with free entertainment and community vendors, continued through the month with no interruption. World Community Kitchen set up shop following the flood in a church parking lot on Main Street. Representative Matt Byrong of Regen's owner and chef at Three Squares Cafe volunteered alongside Lamoille Senator Rich Westman and Secretary of State Sarah Copeland Hansis to provide free meals to the residents. Senator Keisha Rom Hinsdale of Chittenden Southeast, at home with her three-month-old Mira, played ground control from her home. We've been in every parking lot in Chittenden County collecting supplies. We've been on the phone with every impacted community. I've kept saying to myself, I feel like I'm of more value here, making phone calls, getting supplies together, problem solving around certain specific needs. I didn't want to just show up in an impacted community um, without a good plan to be helpful. What Representative Noyes saw in Johnson, though, when elected officials came together to serve meals to the community, is what Senator Rom Hinsdale describes as the connective tissue that the legislature provides from community to community across the state. One of the great things about being a legislator is you have connective tissue all over the state. Um, so if, you know, otherwise, we're a lot of little hamlets and towns that, um, you know, can feel isolated or, or cut off from everyone else. And... What I think happened is, you know, every legislator that was unaffected has started to kind of adopt a community that was impacted and stay in touch with their legislator. And of course, you know, um, Dan Noyes is just a real treasure for Lamoille County, uh, really knows the impact on the ground, um, you know, right away. Uh, There's not a lot of daylight between him and understanding what the needs are. And so he, you know, he just reached out and said, uh, the fire department is doing as much laundry as they can for emergency service folks or first responders, but also for the community. And it was a light bulb for many of us that, you know, yeah, where are people doing laundry? What is, what, what appliances are working? And they're probably being utilized extremely heavily because everyone needs access to water and clean clothes especially in a flood, a flood zone with, you know, toxic water. Um, and so, uh, you know, out of the, out of real generosity and we were able to sort of backfill some of the funds from our larger pool of money 
Rep. Noah Hyman uh, purchased a brand new industrial washer and dryer for uh, Wolkett. And I know there's more need, um, but it's been nice to connect people who want to give their resources uh, to a really direct need. You know, that means people have clean clothes as they clean up from the flood in their community. And that's a huge impact to have. But it wasn't just legislators, of course. Vermonters heard the call for action and came together in phenomenal ways. Here's Senator Rom Hinsdale again. A woman named Chris Pavick, who just called herself like, you know, an older woman with a van, <laughs> um, who, who in fact kind of um, lives out of her van and, and is very open about her nomadic lifestyle uh, living in Vermont basically said, I'm going to show up in a supermarket uh, parking lot at the Colchester Shaw's, and if people can fill my van with supplies, I'm going to take it where it needs to go. And for her, you know, that was a connection with a church in Barrie, um, the Heading Church that's become a, a really big part of, of relief efforts. But a group of us who try to be helpful in the Chittenden County area when there's charity events like Turkey Drives for Thanksgiving um, called the Queen City Saints basically said, you know, this is something we can encourage people to do right away uh, without any red tape. It's just a neighbor to neighbor effort. And so we started to help amplify her voice and put out a call and bring supplies. And very quickly, uh, that sprinter van was filled. We went to another Hannaford's parking lot the next day in South Burlington that was filled so many times over that other trucks started coming and taking supplies. And we realized that we were not only getting the most needed supplies to people out in affected areas, but that we were able to give people in Chittenden County, um, you know, barring the fact that Richmond was also impacted, but we were able to give a lot of the communities that weren't impacted something really meaningful to do as we were all uh, feeling really helpless. Um, and our effort is still ongoing. Um, we are really honing in on dehumidifiers because the moisture just keeps coming. You know, more rain, more, more flood events, um, you know, just it, it must be really re-traumatizing for so many people in those floodplains and in the affected communities. And they need to dry out their basements as fast as they can. And, you know, it's something a lot of Vermonters know intrinsically, but hopefully also in the environmental community, we can think about a safe, healthy place to live it means you don't have mold, you know, you you have the, the temperature control and the climate control you need inside your home um, for it to be safe and habitable. And we're in a fight against, uh, against moisture and mold everywhere in the state that's been impacted. And so we're going to continue to try and get the supplies needed to people to clean up and keep their homes dry. In Johnson, Representative Noyes and I continued along Main Street, where nearly every home and business still had folks filling dumpsters, moving supplies, cleaning up. This is three weeks after. Noyes reiterates that this is not a fast process. For most, this will be a months-long recovery. It's not just the initial muck out the basement and get the insulation out of the walls. It's going to be a long process to dry the homes out, to treat them for mold, to re-insulate them and get them so that people can um, continue to live in our community because most of where was flooded is our, is our downtown housing. It's our village housing that's really important.
And while many Vermonters' housing was impacted, so was the business community. This affects our entire economy. People are looking at Vermont entirely underwater and wondering if they should cancel their hotel reservations, um, how and if we're going to recover, what's going to happen to Lake Champlain, uh, which is our biggest tourism draw in the state. And so we're trying to get a handle on the scope of the impact. Um, some of the preliminary solutions, which are stopgap measures, small grant funding, and low or no interest loans to businesses. But this is going to be such a long road to recovery. And it's just the beginning of, of understanding. As my committee also focuses on housing, we have to have more conversations this fall about how we get people out of harm's way, out of floodplains, um, and keep people's lives from being washed away, uh, you know, into our, our uh, basins. Representative Catherine Sims of Craftsbury also represents the towns of Albany, Greensboro, and Glover in Orleans County, and shares the effects of the economy in the Northeast Kingdom. I know from, you know, going around in my region that, you know, many businesses sustained a lot of damage, whether it's the, you know, small gift shop and bakery all the way up to, you know, Ethan Allen, a large manufacturer who have really suffered some significant damage. And I think there's some concern that um, the FEMA support will be important, but won't be sufficient. Um, you know, SBA will offer loans, but folks are still working to pay off their COVID loans. And I think many are reluctant to take on additional debt, um, even if it's low interest at this point. And so, and, and the FEMA resources will cover kind of building structural damage, but what we're seeing a lot of in our businesses is loss of inventory, lost sales, and those are things that aren't covered by FEMA. And so figuring out how um, we as a state and with philanthropic partners can close that gap to make businesses whole, I think is going to be an important piece of this moving forward. Ah, uh, yes, FEMA. Orleans County finally received eligibility for relief under FEMA just last Thursday. When I spoke to Representative Sims just hours prior to that announcement, she described that process to me. So the governor requested the major disaster declaration for all 14 counties in Vermont. And then um, President Biden um, approved that disaster declaration initially for six counties, those which had been kind of hardest hit and really where they had the most um, aerial and other kind of, um, you know, data and assessment that allowed them to make that declaration without having boots on the ground. And my understanding is the intent and expectation all along was that other counties would be added over time after FEMA was able to have boots on the ground to do the kind of door-to-door damage assessments to determine whether the region um, sustained sufficient um, damage to, to meet a threshold to be included. And so those folks have been working, you know, really hard with, with, you know, town officials and legislators and others on the ground over the last several weeks to do those assessments. The um, and Orange and Caledonia were added last week and we're, um, you know, working really hard to make sure that Orleans County um, also gets added because we know that folks here sustained major damage to their primary residences, whether that was, you know, in some cases water in the basement, in other cases all the way up into the living space above the electrical outlets, or, you know, uh, I was in Barton earlier this week and saw a manufactured home that was completely washed off its foundation and water was up into the living space and was completely uninhabitable. And the reason the declaration matters is because it opens up federal FEMA 
assistance to those individuals. So folks who need to um, muck out and repair and rebuild their homes, um, having access to those federal dollars is a key resource. And so we're working hard because we know this area sustained a lot of damage to make sure that it's included in the declaration. And so when we got word that um, Orleans County was a little, um, you know, didn't quite yet have the documentation to meet um, the threshold to be included, um, we worked really hard with town clerks and local grassroots organizations to gather all the data about the sites that have been most impacted to get that to FEMA, and they came up and did another full day on the ground in Barton and Coventry and Glover and North Troy, um, going door-to-door, -door, having conversations with residents um, to hear their stories, to see the impact, and um, feeling um, cautiously optimistic that we'll be able to get there um, hopefully this week so that folks can access those um, key resources to recover and rebuild and be safe in their homes. That cautious optimism paid off after three weeks as Orleans County marks the ninth county to receive FEMA assistance, but it also further illuminated capacity issues that she was already well aware of for smaller communities like hers. Small communities struggle um, to have enough capacity to move quickly. And so I think in a disaster response, it's always a delicate balance between moving quickly to show that you're being responsive and you're there and you're going to get people the help and support that they need, and also giving communities where often there's, you know, a part-time town clerk and three volunteer select boards the time they need to gather the appropriate information. And so my understanding is that the initial round of FEMA assessments up here in Orleans County, folks got really short notice um, that FEMA was coming on the ground Saturday morning at 9.30. And in many cases, the folks that they were reaching out to, like the town clerks, had been you know, working with road crews and really focused on getting roads back open, getting towns connected. Um, up in Barton, Kristen reports she was spending the whole week putting out cones to make sure people weren't driving into you know, vulnerable spots on the roads. And so in that first week, she hadn't had time to do that um, you know, outreach to individual homeowners to assess damage. And so when FEMA showed up, she didn't have that most comprehensive list of where the damage were. And so that in that first round of visits, missed some of the most impacted sites. And, you know, a week later, when we reach back out and say, hey, like, what have you seen since that initial visit? She said, oh, I've got a whole bunch more. And here's my list. And here's the map. And we were able to gather that and get it to FEMA. And they were, you know, really responsive. And I think everyone's working hard to try to get to yes, because we know how important these um, resources will be for Vermonters to be able to rebuild. But just because FEMA is offering support, officials are urging their constituents to not rush to accept the first offer of relief, or even if you were denied. Here's Representative Noise. Don't necessarily take the first offer. Don't take a denial. Appeal whatever they say if you don't feel it's fair and you don't feel that they understood the impact that this had on your life. FEMA relief is critical, but it also opens up a can of worms about how we build back. While some communities' libraries experienced devastating setbacks like Montpelier's Kellogg Hubbard, the Johnson Library on Railroad Street fared a bit better. Noise says they didn't lose the books. They were packed up and moved to be saved from moisture damage. He said that they had tried to stormproof the building, just as they did over at the Sterling Market. They built in floodgates and sandbagged it, but it went right over this time. He ponders the same things many are wondering now. Next time this happens, where will the high water line be? How soon will that come? And what can we do? Just 12 years ago, Vermont built back with federal dollars from FEMA following Tropical Storm Irene. 
For Senator Allison Clarkson of Windsor, FEMA support should be cared for like the investments that they are. This is our taxpayer money going through FEMA to towns. Uh, I know we had a town manager at, the, at that time in Woodstock that refused to put things back the way they had been because they were clearly inadequate. We had fights with FEMA in 2011 about making them bigger. They wouldn't, initially they weren't willing to pay for improving things uh, and, and creating the resiliency that we needed and that almost everybody knew we needed. Um, you know, they say, oh, it's a hundred year flood. We're never gonna, you know, not gonna have this again in your lifetime. 12 years later, here we are having it. I would wait because I think this is an assessment that's critical for us to get town to town. What of the FEMA investments from 2011, what held, what didn't? Uh, because we need to assess, a really, we have a brutal conversation going forward, which is we have to assess whether public dollars, again, should go into fixing things in the floodplain. And, and we have to figure out where public dollars should best be spent at this point. Because if this is going to be happening, it's just financially irresponsible for us to keep investing uh, in, in, in places that are going to continue to be destroyed. Senator Clarkson did share some promising tidbits from her district. In Bethel and Stockbridge, post-Irene improvements fared well. Each of the legislators I talked to grappled with the challenge of building sustainable communities in our downtowns amidst a changing climate. Investments after Irene, you know, performed well and helped to mitigate um, risk and damage. And we need to do that at a much broader scale in all of our communities around all of the increased um, hazards we face from, from climate change and adverse weather events. As we've tried to get more resources to mobile home communities, um, the idea has been to make them flood resilient or move the entire community. And so... Uh, Everyone is going to have to start thinking that way, especially as we invest public dollars into the rebuilding process. Um, you know, there are creative and just standard solutions, just like for earthquake proofing buildings. Um, we now have, you know, a high watermark that we should be um, building with an eye toward. And it is a predicament when it comes to historic buildings and what happens on the first floor of these buildings. Um, we should certainly be thinking about how much valuable commerce is kind of stored and stocked on in basements and on first floors in places like Montpelier. Um, and yet we also know, you know, when you're in a larger floodplain and basin, the unpredictability of where the river is going to go is is pretty um, staggering. The sad part is is um, this is going to happen again, and so we need to think about resiliency and think about how we're going to rebuild um, the best we can, um, so that when this does happen again, that um, you know we're prepared and we can help people. Um, evacuate and then again back into the recovery mode but unfortunately uh, Vermont's down many of Vermont's downtowns as, as we've seen are built-in floodplains and uh, you know with the changing environment and we're just going to continue to have this unfortunately. Legislators have either already proposed legislation that would help build more disaster resilient communities or are crafting proposals. Here's Senator Clarkson and Representative Sims. So we have a, uh, a 
resiliency mitigation bill in the works that Cl Climate Solutions Caucus is working on. So I know that the committees are, are beginning to think about the bills that, that are going to improve resiliency and require resilient rebuilding. There are a number of things that I think we put forward in the past that have, um, and, and, the, and the need for them, I think, has only been made more apparent as a result of this this flood. And there are two things. It's that um, local administrative capacity. Um, we were able to put some dollars into the budget adjustment last year to help provide some technical assistance and administrative capacity to rural communities that have the least capacity to help them access ARPA dollars. It's the same theme here. How do we make sure that there's you know enough human capacity on the ground to help um, deal with all the challenges that our communities face? And so I'm hoping that we can dig into that even more and find some longer-term solutions to make sure that no community is left behind. And then also thinking about climate um, adaptation and resiliency and, you know, had a bill around that last year. And, um, you know, how do we make sure that there are um, there's access to infrastructure dollars um, sized, you know, and accessible to communities of all sizes to invest upfront in adaptation and resiliency measures um, and I, I think that's going to be, um, you know, something that hopefully we can work with our federal partners on. But I think there's a role for the state to play as well. Um, you know, we've, we've done things like the Municipal Vulnerability Index. And we know some of the communities that are most vulnerable to flood, but also other impacts of climate change. And I think the next step is making sure that all those communities have access to the resources that they need to make upfront investments. So we're not paying to clean up um, as much later. Uh, we are really hoping that we can... Uh, support Vermonters getting back on their feet. We can build back in a more resilient way, and we can be thoughtful about where we relocate things. And we're sadly going to have to. We're going to have more riverside parks in our downtowns and maybe fewer buildings. You know, there's a lot of work to do moving forward to make sure that we're not leaving any community behind and that we're coming out of this stronger for the future. Back in Lamoille County, the final stop on my tour of Johnson was the newly opened Johnson Health Center, a vision of nurse practitioner Caroline Butler and Don Tatro of Jenna's Promise. The former Subway restaurant opened just several months ago, but now a dumpster filled with barely used but water-damaged furnishings, shelving, cabinetry, sits in their vacant parking lot. It had been five years since health services were offered in town, a very anticipated and welcome new addition to town. Caroline has been able to still provide services off-site, but in a more limited capacity. The site, which was home to Vermont's first naloxone vending machine, had its foyer door wide open still. Inside, several feet of sheetrock had been removed, however still attached above the waterline an encased supply of Narcan. In a recovery town amidst flood recovery efforts, the closed health center was still able to provide a life-saving service, should it be needed. In a small town like Johnson, it was heartening, despite being surrounded by devastation, to see and hear firsthand the response and efforts being made by community. Representative Noise urges folks to remember that this process will be lengthy and that help will still be needed in the months to come. Representative Sims suggests engaging with the Northeast Kingdom Organizing and Civic Standard, two organizations that can match volunteers to a need. I will have those linked on our website. Finally, Senator Rom Hinsdale leaves us with a reminder about community, communication, our connective tissue, and the generation to come.
I was up in the middle of the night, which I often am as the mother of a three-month-old now, and it just really hit me when I saw all of the help that was being offered and how organized people were in this recovery, um, that the challenge is great, but Vermonters are greater. And I just keep saying that wherever I go. You know, people are thanking me or our team for supplies, and we we wouldn't be really a part of this at all unless, you know, kids with lemonade stands or synagogues just got together and said, let's raise money and let's go find all the tools and dehumidifiers we can and just get it to the affected areas. When disaster strikes, the most important thing is that you have a tight-knit community that has strong communication to get the resources and the help where it needs to be. And at least, if nothing else, Vermont has that for the coming disasters we face. Um, but we're going to need to be thinking about how government helps keep that connective tissue extremely strong and make sure that we are in a better position uh, for when the next flood strikes. And while we, I look at my three-month-old baby and I, I wish that this was the only you know 100-year storm she was going to live through, but they seem to be happening more frequently and I'm doing this for her future as well. I want to thank Representative Dan Noyes, Representative Catherine Sims, Senator Allison Clarkson, and Senator Rom Hinsdale for their contributions to this conversation and the work they've provided to their communities during this time. I also want to thank my colleague Erica Faulkner for assisting me in Johnson. We will have footage from our walking tour of Johnson available in the coming week over on our social media and website. We plan to be back in a couple of weeks to check in on other communities, see how progress is coming along, and discuss some relevant policies we expect to get more traction in 2024. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at VoteGreenVT, YouTube and Instagram at VT Conservation Voters, and find us on Facebook as well. You can subscribe to our emails, see our legislative environmental scorecard, and learn more about our work and policies by visiting vermontconservationvoters.org. Season two and regular episodes will ramp back up in January, but season one of the podcast is available to enjoy. Stay engaged with us. Let me know if you have topic ideas for future episodes or any past episodes that you really enjoyed and would want a follow-up of. You can email me at jmarsh at vermontconservationvoters.org. Until then, thanks for listening.